and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I am your Tuesday host, Charles Curtis, as uh, usual. And today I decided that because we're in the middle of August and baseball's still going on, I had to get Ted Berg on, our, our baseball guy. What's going on, Ted? Chilling. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. It's uh, Whenever I get you on, we always talk about New York stuff and we had a big rainstorm over the weekend. Uh, but the weather's good, and I'm really happy about that. It's not as muggy as it was for a few weeks. Very happy about that. It's still fairly muggy. Yeah, but say it's like 70s. It'll probably climb in the 80s. Yeah, That's what I'll get that. I mean, this is, this is the first time it has been, like, at all bearable to be outside in the last, like, three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I was actually away this weekend. That, that's a good segue into what we're going to talk about. I was in Kansas City for the weekend for, like, a fun, I've never been to the city trip. And I visited Kaplan Stadium, which I loved. I was, like, very impressed with the stadium that had built, been built decades ago, updated, and, you know, had the, the water fountain stuff. looked pretty great. And I got to see the Cardinals play. Um, and the Cardinals are looking like a team that could make kind of a late run. And I say late. I mean, we're in mid-August, so late would be September. But it looks like uh, they, they've got something good going on there. Yeah, it's funny. They played really well since uh, since like the shakeup, firing them, firing Mike Matheny and everything. I think uh, you know people like to credit. Oh, it was that Matheny was this bad, or the new manager is this good. I think a lot of times just the like, hey, like there's stakes here. You know, we can fire people and move things around and and let you know, you know, what this is unacceptable. Uh, I think sometimes it does have an effect on on a team. Maybe it's just you know post hoc ergo propter hoc or whatever, and <laughs> and we're just crediting it to that. But uh, I don't know. Matt Carpenter's been unbelievable. They've sort of figured out a lot of like little playing time things. Uh, they've having you know guys go on DL have have has been good for them. Like De- Dexter Fowler is just having a miserable season before he went on the disabled list. They've been able to replace him with really guys who have been playing a lot better. That helps. Uh, pitching's been solid. You know, like Miles Michaelis looks like an ace somehow. Uh, so yeah, it's a good team. I mean, the it's what's what's wild is that there are like. I mean, all of the, all of the teams in the National League that are are competitive are like pretty good. There's yeah. no like, oh, this is this is the great National League team, right? Like the Astros are a great team, and the Red Sox are a great team, uh, and the Indians and the and the A's, I think, are all really good teams. Uh, and there's no team. I don't think there's any team in the National League that's there with any of those clubs. Like, and it doesn't mean anything once you get to the playoffs, obviously. But if you're trying to, like, just look on paper and say, okay, well, this club's going to pull away, I can say I think the Astros will pull away in the AL West. I just think they're better than than the A's and the Mariners. Uh, I don't see a National League team where it's like, oh, this is a no-brainer. This is the best team. Yeah, no, I, the Cubs probably, and I say that, like, hesitantly because they've just got, like, some some interesting holes here and there. You know, pitching is not quite where it was during the World Series year, it feels like to me. And then, like, the Braves are, like, this young upstart team, but I feel like either, A, the, the, the Phillies will catch up to them, which they are about to, you know, they're a game behind. And, you know, neither of those teams is, like, a great team. Again, these are, like, young, upstarty type teams. Arizona stands out only because I think they've got the pitching, uh, and, and their lineup is pretty solid. But, again, like you said, but there are, we're also, you know, forgetting that the Dodgers are a game out. I'm not forgetting it. I was in Colorado's one game, and like the Giants are five games out. So you're absolutely right that 
it's shaping up in the NL to be a crazy race. Who do you think emerges ultimately? So I, you know, until probably three days ago, I might have said the Nationals. Like, I've been uh, pretty bullish on the Nationals this whole year throughout all of the weirdness. But then, I don't know, some of of these late losses, I think, can really get demoralizing. I think that is a thing. I think if you talk to players, they'll say, like, you know, it it is really hard to get up for a game when you have this suspicion that your bullpen's going to blow it at the end. And now, you know, that's a team that gave away – two useful bullpen pieces over apparently non-performance related reasons. Uh, I think that's the type of thing to me that I could imagine just like sort of seeding some resentment inside for, for a, a pretty tumultuous clubhouse from what it seems. So I kind of like the Phillies uh, probably best of all in the, in the NL East. I loved, I loved the moves they made at the trade deadline. And then I love adding Justin Bohr who they don't even really need but I don't think I've ever seen hit a ball with an exit velocity of anything less than like Mach three. So like all the, all of a sudden they have one of these lineups where there's not a hole and like, they're not a great defensive team. Uh, their pitching is sort of like top heavy. Like they, again, it's not a perfect team. Like you said, it's, it's a, it's a, a club that is sort of coming together after a rebuild a little bit faster than we thought. Uh, but if you compare them to the Braves, it's, it's like a much more, uh, it's there's there's veterans throughout. There's there's like sort of late twenties guys more than the Braves have, uh, and so I I kind of just feel like that's the deepest team there. Uh, you mentioned the Cubs. I, I like the Cubs too. You said that what you said was right. They're 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 hitting, but their pitching isn't really what it it has been a few years ago. Uh, there's the you know the the competition is the Brewers, and well their bullpen has been incredible. Like it, the Brewers pitching has been, I think, probably better than the Cubs this year. But if you look at the, the starting staffs, you really want to tell me that the, the Brewers group is going to outperform the Cubs for the rest of the way here? And, and like I, I find that kind of hard to buy. Uh, so I would take the Cubs there. Uh, and then, the, I mean, the West, I just really don't know. Like I, Again, it, you know, just sort of on paper, you say, okay, the Dodgers are going to pull away. Now they've got all these pitchers healthy. Now they've added Manny Machado. Now, you know, and, and you just kind of keep expecting – the Dodgers pull away and they just keep not, they're just not doing it, you know? Yeah. And so all of a sudden you're looking at it and you're like, well, you know what? The Rockies have a pretty good team. They can hit. We know that Kyle Freeland is quietly having like a Cy Young caliber season. He's not going to win it because he plays in Colorado, but they've got some pitching. They've got these bullpen arms who have been horrible and underperformed, but like you can sort of squint at Wade Davis and say, well, that guy's going to be better than he's been, you know? And, and so maybe the, maybe they sort of pull the bullpen together and they stick around again. It's not like what anyone would have guessed, but uh, I thought if if you if you had asked me before the season, I would have, I would have guessed the Dodgers had a ten game lead in the in the NL West by now. Uh, and what's crazy is is you, you say all that. There's a team. There are going to be maybe two or three teams, and again, what six weeks of baseball left, that could be left out of the wild card with really good records, and that's that's scary, right? Like. I can see a scenario where, like, the Phillies pull away in the East, but Atlanta stays with it for a while. Milwaukee and St. Louis uh, end up, you know, with great records. And then, like you said, Colorado pick two of Colorado, Arizona. The Dodgers, that could not make the playoffs, not even make that little crazy wild card one game thing. And and it's like, uh, I did not expect that. The the AL is a different story, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, I can't. I can't fathom how heartbreaking that must be 
and it's it's what baseball wants, right? Because then you have you get two shots of the wild card. Yeah, and you have you know the I mean the National League. Like I've been trying to, I mean, really since the Mets have been clearly out of it, and and I kind of watch baseball by like opening up my my MLB.com app and seeing which game has two contenders, you know, and and picking that game and and sticking with that game for the night and uh, and streaming on my TV, you know. So so like I I am now only watching the National League. It's so rare that two good teams in the American league match up the, the Mariners and the Astros just had a series. You get some good NL West series, but the AL 10 teams are just totally out of it. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like basically it's a, it's a three team wild card race at this point with the Yankees, like obviously at an advantage. Um, and so you're sort of reduced to like, okay, well, can the A's hold off the Mariners and that's it. Right. And then you watch the National League and it's like, well, every one of these teams, right, outside of the four teams that are and all of the rest of the teams can sort of viably hope and play for something. And it really does. It makes for way more exciting baseball. Right. Like that. The Cubs yeah. National Series, the, the walk off Grand Slam. That's exciting in any scenario, but it's especially exciting when both teams are playing for something, even in middle. Right. Well, two questions for you from the AL because we, we don't have much to talk about with the playoff races there, uh, with the exception of the West. Why are the Oakland A's so good? And and I was going to hold off on any New York questions because we're so biased living here, but it feels like people are complaining about the Yankees. And I'm like, as a Mets fan, like, come on. Like, there's they're 30 games over 500. Uh, they, they do have some, you know, holes here and there. Severino's fallen off the, the, the cliff a little bit. But still, you've got this lineup, and I'm like, everyone, shut up! And you know, like, they're also you got some young parts. Like, give it some time. But of course, we live in New York, and everybody's got to be, you know, uh, uh, clamoring for that. So, so how are the A's so good, and are the Yankees secretly bad? I guess is the question. Or is, are, should people? Compl- um, the A's are so good because they can hit, um, and it's it's like sort of the same thing I was talking about with the Phillies. I think there's a huge ad- advantage in not having any holes in your lineup, you know, and like, that's sort of an obvious thing. Uh, but you see some of these teams and you, I mean, you look at like the nationals, right. And like, they've got great hitters, but then throughout the season, they've also had guys who have just been like offensive black holes. And I think if you're an opposing pitcher, uh, it does sort of make it easier when you're like, okay, well I can work around Harper because I see two, but two batters later, there's a guy who gets on base, you know, 29% of the time I can get him out. Right. So uh, and, and I think if you're if you're facing the A's one through eight or one through nine, it's good. They're good hitters. And mm-hmm. so it, it becomes like, you know, it, it, like sort of it's constantly high stress, you know, and, and I think that helps. And I think sort of offense breeds offense in that way. And some guys sort of play above their heads when everyone around them is good. Uh, and this is like sort of all hotly contested and often uh, debunked stuff in terms of like the math of it. They say there's no such thing as, as lineup protection or it doesn't play out. I am skeptical of that conclusion just because uh, every single baseball player it's a thing. Even the like shrewdest and most analytical baseball guys will say, no, like it, you, I'm telling you guys pitch you differently when this guy is hitting behind you versus when this guy's hitting behind you. Uh, and so uh, I kind of buy in the A's, like, just all-hands-on-deck type offense. They don't have a great offensive player, but, they again, they don't have a bad one. And so mm-hmm. so that helps. Uh, their pitching has been really weirdly good, and I have no idea what's going on with that. Uh, they have 
right now, I mean, Sean Manea has been, he's been awesome. And I think there's a lot of signs that, that he was a really good pitcher coming into the year. Yes. Uh, he's tailed off a little bit from his great start, but he's a, he's a good pitcher. Um, you know, like I think fantasy players knew about him. No one, I mean, come on, this team is going to make the playoffs. And they right now have Trevor Cahill, Edwin Jackson, and Brett Anderson in their rotation. Those are like, that's, I mean, and there's no disrespect to them, but they're all performing pretty well. That's scrap heap, right? Like, that's yes. just like, oh, like, let's th- find Edwin Jackson. Like, are you, you're right. telling me Ed- Edwin Jackson's not only still in the league, which is mind blowing, <laughs> he's got a 2.4 ADRA for the A's. Right. And maybe it doesn't last, but you just need to sort of capture that lightning long enough to get yourself to the postseason. And, and once you're there, even before you're there with the bullpen that they have, they can just, you know, you ask this guy for five innings, give us five innings and, and let up two or three runs. And we're gonna we're gonna match those runs because our offense is good, and then we can turn over the bullpen and and hope, hope to lock down our opponents for the late end. So I am kind of I'm a I'm a believer in the Oakland A's. There's some personal uh, stuff riding on that because as covering teams, like the A's are just always one of the most fun teams to cover because that's just like how they are. I, I feel like. Part of the A's thing is that they're just like finding interesting dudes and and yeah. letting them loose in this like sort of like freewheeling cultural fun clubhouse situation. Uh, so that's cool. So like I, maybe I'm biased just by that, uh, but I I buy them. I mean, they're if you look at all like the secondary stats and everything, they all say they're they're pretty good, um, and I think probably better than the Mariners. The Yankees, no, I mean of course the Yankees fans are going to complain. The Yankees fans always complain. If you, uh, it's like, it's such a warped perspective that I can't even put myself in their shoes as a Yankee fan, right? Because you just are so accustomed to good teams, right? This is the club that uh, it's rebuilding year was a wild card, was hosting the wild card game last year and making it to one game away from the World Series in a rebuilding season. They have like one of the most exciting collections. They probably have... Uh, in terms of guys already performing at the major league level, it's them and the Braves for, for you know, young cores. Uh, and, you know, I mean, outside of like the Astros and Cubs and the guys who are the, the ones with the cores that are getting slightly over uh, older. If you're talking about like under 25 players uh, and, and who, you know, teams to build around, the Yankees are, are absurd. They're just, you know, it's stacked end to end. They've got more guys in the minors. I, I think they did a good job not giving up too much. Uh, at the trade deadline and sort of taking a, a conservative approach there. Uh, I could not imagine a more exciting team to root for than the one that has the second best team record in baseball and maybe like the best collection of young players, arguably the best collection of young players, except that you're always going to view things through the lens of, of you know, where they are in the division, 27 right. world championships, where do they stand compared to the Red Sox? And it, it so happens that the Red Sox are having like a historically great season. So what can you do? You know, I, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have any patience for people complaining about the Yankees. I get that Severino has been bad and CeCe Sabathia's injury, it, it's bad, right? Like Sonny yeah. Gray has been bad. They need starting pitching. Uh, and, and it's tougher to find it on the way when – because of your record, you have basically the second to last waiver claim, right? So uh, a club like the Indians or the A's or the Mariners are going to block a lot of the, the good players that might get to the Yankees. Um, and, and so that's sort of, sort of an interesting wrinkle. But yeah. how, I mean, 
they're they've got the second best they've got the second best record in baseball. Like you should never be able to complain about that. Uh, yeah, and I you know the thing for me is right. Like if they if they knew and they should have known that their their starting rotation wasn't showed up, they should have traded for Jacob Degrom, like they, we said on the podcast last month. Uh, but uh, you know, fun fact by the way about the but I don't think so. I don't think they should have. Oh, I don't think they should have because I mean I did oh, say that and I, I I believed that once upon a time. I think that yes. given where they were at the trade deadline when it finally came around because Boston had a big enough lead because it was oh, clear that now you're going to go all in for, you know, maybe just one game. And, and so like, I, I don't know, like I buy, I believe that flags fly forever. And I think the Cubs were right to trade Glaber Torres for Araldis Chapman because the Cubs were in a situation where they knew they were going to the playoffs. Right. And they knew that's the guy that, that might put them over the edge. You know, if you're in the Yankees position, and then you go, any team can lose one game, right? They, they they came back in the wild card last year. Last year, Severino was going great coming into the end of the season. And, and he got he got lit up in the wild card game, right? That happens again. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't make a comeback. And and maybe now you've given up whatever it is. If it's Andrew Haar and Clint Frazier for Jacob DeGrom, maybe that's Jacob DeGrom's bad day. And look what you've done, you know? And I, I, mean, yeah. I don't think it's the worst. I don't think it's the worst situation there because DeGrom's under contract for a while. But you don't want to mortgage the future for a one one and done type type scenario. Yeah, no, you make a very strong point there. Uh, speaking of the future, you wrote something this week about the Toronto Blue Jays and how they need to, or you, you should. What was the phrase you used? Publicly mock them for. Uh, I think for we not should mock them. Yeah, I think yeah, they yeah. For, for not bringing up Vladimir Junior, who was raking in the minors, so they just moved up to AAA, right? And like, I'm with you. Bring him up. But obviously, we know it's a service time issue, and you got to conserve the you know the star for one more year of service time, and it's lame. But do you, like what's your what was your take? I mean, my take is is that it's lame, you know, and and yeah. I get it. You have to get it right because we've seen it so many times at this point. Uh, and you said, I mean, you pointed out that Guerrero is raking. Like I feel like that is undercutting it, right? Like that is that yeah. he is not. It's not just. That he's raking. It's that like guys, they can't get a ball past him in AAA. Like he's hitting four hundred. He's homering basically every night. Like he's just. It's not. It's not just like oh, this guy's having a really nice season. It's like this guy is clearly done with hitting against minor league pitchers. Like there is no challenge for him here. Uh, And so look, it's fine if you wanna. If you if there's this is within the rules of baseball. Minor leaguers have no union. We know this. There's no the major league union does nothing to stop this because by the time a guy uh, is is in a position to do something about it, he's a veteran major leaguer and doesn't care that his club held him down for an extra month during his rookie season because now he's making millions. So it's not something that's going to change unless there's like a full blown fan revolt or something. And and I don't think it's coming because I think if you're uh, if you're a Blue Jays fan, you probably understand it too, right? You're going to say like, oh, okay, well, we'd rather have him for 2025 or whatever it is than for the last couple of months of of 2018. It Again, it makes baseball sense, but it makes also anything the Jays say about trying to win baseball games from here on out is a charade because – if you're making a, a baseball decision, if you're making it based on like how do we help make put out the best product on the big league field that we can, then obviously this guy this guy should be on the team when Josh Donaldson got hurt in late May, and then Young Gerber Solarte gets hurt two days ago. They're down two third basemen, and they're still not calling up the guy hitting 400. Right. Like, <laughs> it's absurd. 
It is absolutely absurd. And it's unfortunately part of the game. But w- w- like you said, next season, I bet we'll, he'll be up and, and here we go. Or maybe they'll do that same thing that everybody's done, the Chris Bryants of this world, where they keep him whatever, whatever it is, like 20, 20 days or 30 days, and they start his service time like the next month. And it's like, oh. Yeah, they will. I mean, and they will abs- at this point, they, it seems like they'll absolutely do that. And they'd be yeah. crazy not to. You'd be crazy yeah. not to. That's the thing. It's just, it's just lame. Like, all you can say is, like, as a fan, and again, like, because I, 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 I tweeted about this before I wrote about it, and people are like, well, how could you blame the Blue Jays for doing this? It's, well, again, like, I know it's smart, but I can blame them because I'm a baseball fan. I want to watch the best baseball players be- play baseball, and them, with their, like, shrewd financial manipulations, are preventing me from doing that. And, and there is sort of this, like, sort of public trust that happens in baseball where you're kind of counting on the team to do what it can to win games. It's not the case anymore. Teams tank. This is what happens. I just wish it didn't happen. That's all. I wish it didn't yeah. happen because yeah. I want to see the best baseball players. Well, you've gotten everybody a lot of passion out of Ted as usual, and that's why I had to turn uh, the last part of this podcast to something that we are both passionate about. Uh, this morning, I forgot what the context of it was, but the name Weird Al Yankovic came up, uh, and he is one of my all-time favorites in culture, I guess you'd say, pop culture. I don't know. It just I, 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 uh, am at the, I bow at the temple of Weird Al. And I found out, you know, with all of our coworkers mocking us uh, in our group chat on Slack, uh, I was I like, feel like they mock because they don't know, right? right. Like, yeah, I feel like we're, we're maybe a little older than the rest of them, and also it's because true. we grew up with Weird Al, so we get it. Yeah, but the funny thing is, is that Weird Al, and this is my argument, is that Weird Al is relevant to the youngs as well as the olds. Uh, and that is mind-blowing because the guy, you know, comedy has taken such a turn in the last 10, 15, 20 years that... Weird Al, by all accounts, it's like he, you know, he, not that he shouldn't be relevant, but like, you know, his comedy might be seen in a different light, but no, he's still oh, like it's revered. it's so hard. It's so hard for comedians yeah. to stay relevant. For anyone in comedy, to say it feels like you have like a, you get like a five-year peak where you are a funny person that everybody respects, and then like the backlash comes for you, and, and now all of a sudden everybody hates you. You know, and like now you're the lamest thing in the world, right? And like for him to, I think part of it is just like from day one, like there was never any pretense about Weird Al being cool, you know? So it's not like Dane Cook where like part of Dane Cook's aesthetic was that he's like a cool guy. Weird Al, (laughs) Weird Al has been a dork since day one. And that's like part of what makes it work because he can just like, I play the accordion, I write parody songs, I am the best at it right like yeah. I, he's so good at writing parody songs and he can just keep doing his thing and like i like i said in our chat room like i really feel like it's like a like the the ten thousand hours uh, theory applies to weird out like he has just mastered the art of writing the parody song you know like yes. and uh and it's cool that yeah it's like he said it's cool that he's still going it's cool that he hasn't you'd think at some point you would buy into yourself a little more and there would be at least like one ill-advised Weird Al serious jazz album out there, right? <laughs> but like instead Weird Al is just like, I'm I'm Weird Al, this is my thing, I got wild hair, I play the accordion and I write funny songs and that's well, cool. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that but he just did a tour or he might still be on it, but he's still doing. He did a tour. It was like called the. I, I, now I'm going to look it up, but it's like the the totally self indulgent. I'm going to play acoustic 
tour of, and I think they did like cover songs and like uh, it wasn't his usual show. I think, and I anybody listeners out there, correct me. Maybe I was wrong. If you went, maybe I was wrong. Maybe uh, Weird Al has gone pretentious, but I no. But like, I think that was like the deliberate thing. Like almost, I wonder if it's like a self parodying. Uh, a meta parody of a parody of a of a tour but like i think weird al is operating on levels we can't even understand exactly and i think that that was a really cool move and and i think he actually played guitar during the show which is something he's never done he played like two chords on a song or whatever it was which is hilarious um so like i think that's really really cool by the way the name of the tour is the ridiculously self-indulgent ill-advised vanity tour which is oh, see, hilarious. that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So, like, yeah, he gets it, right? Like, because obviously, whatever he wants to do, if he's saying, like, I know what's going on here. Again, it's that weird all guy, right? Because if it, if it wasn't, if he if he was pretentious, it would be called like explorations of Yankovic or something, right? And <laughs> instead, it's the self indulgent, totally, you know, whatever tour, right. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan. I, I would sign up he's... instantly. I would totally go. If Weird Al was giving like a serious classical music concert at Carnegie Hall, I would 100% go and check that out. Absolutely. Yeah. Or, or the, you know, his explorations on the accordion of, you know, original accordion. It's the way that Billy Joel, by the way, and, and in a more very more serious way, you know, when he stopped writing uh, pop songs, he's, he's written some classical stuff, but that's been serious classical stuff that's that that he he's composed. I would I would like you go to Carnegie Hall and hear him perform explorations on the accordion you know volume one or whatever it is if, if he so chose to but like you said that's not what he does he knows that he's a parodyist and and a, a also like really good at it uh and also something you said on slack i totally agree with is that underrated is are his his songs that are parodies of genres so there's a a song on um uh was was uh, alapalooza was that the one with um with Nirvana smells like Nirvana on it. Uh, no, I want to say that was the. I I feel like it was maybe, like Bad Hair Day that had the no, Nirvana. Was, like, I feel like it was. Uh, yeah. the, I feel like it was the one. Off the, the one right end. before Alabama. That's what oh, it was. Yeah, yeah. Off the deep end, right? So off the deep end had Trigger Happy, which is a parody of a Beach Boys song that talks about gun ownership, and it's like. I don't know, trigger happy, trigger happy every day. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, great. And it's just like that is so brilliant for him to come up with a, you know, it's both like that. And there's a um, You Don't Love Me Anymore, which is a, a sort of a parody of a, of a rock, um, a, a, like a sad ballad, but it's like all about <laughs> like a wife trying to kill a husband, like so many different ways and, and torture him. I don't know. It's just yeah. Uh, the one I, I always, the one that always, there's a song from Alpalooza. It's called uh, Frank's 2000 Inch TV, oh, and man. that for some reason, and it's like it's like a it's like a, the same. It's like a parody of like just sort of generic 90s alt rock, like sort of like REM sound. Uh, but for whatever reason, that introduced me at like in seventh grade when I bought the album. That was the first time I had ever heard the term parts and labor. So now <laughs> every time I hear the term parts and labor that song pops into my head like 100% of the time. That's so funny. Uh, yeah. So if Weird Al, if you're listening and I will, I will be tweeting this, uh, I, I, you can come on the podcast. I've been dreaming of interviewing Weird Al for a very long time and I probably could, I don't know, reach out, but I, I don't know. I feel like, uh, you know, uh, as a fan, is that your dream? Is that like, is there, is that your, do you have like a number one, person you would like to interview that you haven't yet been able to interview he's in life. on the he's on the top five i never found an occasion to do it i had this idea to do 
where I would inter- I would follow him as he step by step came up with a parody tune, including like calling and or visiting with the artist who he's parodied. Because remember, he asked permission, you know, and all that. So I always had that idea. I don't think he's done that in a little while. So I kind of, you know, if he is planning that, I, that would be the greatest thing ever is to sort of follow Weird Al from the moment he goes, oh, I heard this song on the radio. I want to parody it. And then step two, he asks permission. Step three, he records it. Step four, release, you know, so on and so forth. So, you know, if, if he's doing that now, like, I'm all in. I wonder how often people are like, no, Weird Al, you can't, this is my art, and you are not permitted to mess with it. <laughs> it's a good question to ask him, and if I do get to Because, that, like, how, how dare you, you know? <laughs> it's true. Uh, Ted, you are, as usual, the at, at, at OG Ted Bird on Twitter. You should follow Ted, obviously, for all baseball and other things, including pop culture, such as Weird Al. Uh, so, Ted, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.